is episode 93, Wine 101. everyone welcome to another episode of slp's wine and cheese i'm maria i'm deb and here's our podcast for the realistic slp who is actively anti-racism our podcast wants to foster a community of diverse perspectives backgrounds and voices this episode we are going to talk to two gentlemen who invented a device or an instrument um, called ULO, which is made to purify wine by removing sulfates and aerating the wine. Uh, Maria tried it out today before she started drinking her. What wine are you drinking? I'm drinking this Eric Kent Rosé wine, a 2018 vintage. And you could see here, well, you can't really tell that I ULO'd, but I'll tell you that I did because I did. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, in a way it's making me uh, pour a second glass quite so swiftly because I'm like, well, I ULO'd it. There's no sulfites or sulfates. Right. And, uh, you know, it's allowing me to just use an excuse to drink more. So in a way it's a great invention. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, did you aerate your wine? Did you put the air on or the air off? I want to say I put it on because oh, okay. it was dripping slowly. I think that it was recommended for the lighter wines that the air is on. Um, yeah. Yes. So, I learned uh, something from Our this new episode. friends, Joe and James, you're going to hear from them later. They're two scientists and based out of Chicago, and they created this ULO. It, can, it purifies the wine. Um, so most wine, uh, well, all wine, contain sulfates and that's how you preserve it but that's also what gives you the headaches and the hangover um and these artificial preservatives are purified out of the wine with this technology so that you can enjoy the wine today and tomorrow absolutely (laughs) i guess that is that is correct so deb you're not drinking wine right now though right no i have coffee because i'm doing the whole 30, which is like a modified whole 30, I will admit, um, because I think the whole 30 is pretty expensive. So, and then also difficult in quarantine, but in any event, I am adhering to the no alcohol aspect because I was, uh, I was partying every night during quarantine. It was a quarantine party here in Brooklyn and, uh, I needed to slow it down. So now I am, uh, you know, having some coffee only because not that I would have coffee this late, but I was just feeling so sluggish today. And I just thought, you know what? I need some coffee. And I love iced I coffee. Iced coffee is amazing. It's really, I'm having a hot. Yeah. I'm all hot about the coffee. ice. I make uh, iced cubes with my leftover coffee so that when I put the ice cubes the coffee ice cubes in my iced coffee, it melts and it's in coffee and it's not watered down. Uh-huh. So it takes coffee very seriously here. That's a good idea. Yes. That's great. You can also put that in a smoothie. That is correct. Yeah. Coffee flavored smoothie with some protein powder or peanut butter if you mm-hmm. want. I'm just going to get hungry now. That's what's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah, I'm pretty hungry. Mike just asked me if I want something from the store and I just mm. nodded. I don't know what I want, but I do know I want something. Pickles. Just go with the pickles. Yeah, pickles would be good. Um, speaking of Mike, he ordered this box of wine, and it came with this little, like, tasting card. And I thought it just had, since this is our Wine 101 episode, mm-hmm. we are talking about uh, the science behind wine and just, like, understanding it a bit better. So you can taste by sight. And what this means is that what you see in your glass can tell you a lot about the wine's age or variety, or if it was aged in oak. Uh, So here's how you can do it. You're going to hold your glass at an angle over a white Mm -hmm. surface to start. Doing that Um, now. Doing that now. Okay. So red wines get lighter over time Mm -hmm. and white wines get darker over time. A darker color in a white wine might also indicate that the wine has been aged in oak. So that's an interesting tidbit. Maybe if you had two of the same wines from a different vintage, which vintage just means the year. We learned that in our episode. You'll hear that again later. That is one of the top things that I have learned in this uh, in the talk that we had with mm-hmm. the two Ulo guys. 
yeah. I always felt a little silly where I was like, but what's the difference? How do you know when something's vintage? But I don't want to spoil right. the, uh, it's coming up, you know, so just stay tuned. You get to hear Deb and I talking Talk to, to some, some scientists. scientists about wine and they're thinking like, okay, these chicks have a wine podcast and we're sitting there like, yeah, we like rosé. We drink rosé. Yes, <laughs> yeah. nod your head and smile. Yes, Deb. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, exactly. That's what we were doing. Like, yeah, they had fancy wine and I had fans of rosé. Yeah. So another fact I wanted to tell you about wine. Do you know wine has legs? Yes. When you swirl it like this, I'm swirling. I'm swirling right, right so now. Wine legs or tears are the droplets mm-hmm. that form on the sides of your yes. wine glass. Heavy right and now. slow droplets indicate higher alcohol or sugar. Faster and thin droplets indicate lower alcohol or sugar. Yes. I'm assuming with like the fruitier wines that contains more sugar and sweeter, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a wine like rosé right now. But, uh-huh. um, as yeah. I'm swirling. It's kind of hard to droplets? swirl right now. I'm, I'm having some swirling tef- difficulties. All right. Well, while you yeah, swirl, swirling. can you smell it? Smell can it? Because the uh, aroma counts for about 85% of taste. and so like alcohol. Okay. Very smelling alcoholic. a wine is one of the most important parts of tasting it. Yes. So swirl and sniff, swirl and sniff. Mm-hmm. And this wine is, pro- is I think, I believe this, oh, uh, the same company of the wine that I drank on the interview. It's from uh, Sonoma County, and they uh, talk about that too on the interview. But um, ah. this is very sweet. I think there's probably some fruits in here. A so then of, um, berries, perhaps. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So that indicates like the red. Um, here we have, it says like, so separating the fruit aromas in white and red wines. So a white wine might have like citrus, which would be, you know, lemon or orange and then orchard, which would be like an apple. Then we have, um, stone, which looks like a peach and tropical, which is a kiwi. Um, and then red wines have red fruits. There's a strawberry black fruits, like a cherry or blue fruits, like a blueberry. And then you can identify non-fruit aromas, such as florals, herbs, spices, or earths. Then finally, Maria's favorite topic so far has been um, oak aging indicators. So that would be like vanilla, baking spices, and coconut. So what did you learn about oak barrels, Maria? Yes. I, from uh, our chat with James and the ULO team, we I've discovered that oak barrels, right? So the person who makes an oak barrel is called a cooper. So just fun fact. And then oak beat out clay back in the Roman times when they used to store wine and clay. And then if you think about it, like in just like back in the day, if you see like art and the art museums, they're holding a lot of like clay vases. And I wonder if there was wine in there. Oh, and, maybe. Uh, yeah. So, and then also I looked up some more interesting facts about oak. So this is not just, you know, me off the dome right now. Uh, I'm Mm going to leave this uh, article in the show notes so people can learn more about oak. But did you know the barrels are shaped that way for a reason? Because they can be rolled down, but they could also stand upright to remain stationary. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then of course, this is what you were just saying about the different types of oak. So North American oak is different from a Western European oak and people, you know, they argue about which, uh, which oak is better and stuff like that, you know, because of how that different wood changes the flavor profile. Ah, so then Um, the flavor profile, so we can taste by our palate, right? And flavor is what you smell and also um, what you taste. So you got to sip and swish, sip and swish Mm. to confirm what you smell and see what new flavors stand out. Um, So the body right now, I'm like ready. I'm excited. Good. So now think about the body of the wine. This is similar to skim milk versus whole milk. Mm. Wines have different weights on the palate. So would you compare that to skim milk or whole milk? I'm going to go with skim. I'm going to yeah, go with it's nice skim. And, thin. Mm-hmm. and then we can determine um, bitterness, mm-hmm. sweetness, and acidity. So bitterness sensed at the back of your palate, like a bitter IPA beer or dark chocolate. Does your wine taste bitter at all? Do you taste it at the back of your palate? I did taste it at the back of my palate. A bit. So then there's also yes. sweetness, which is sensed at the front of your palate near the tip of your tongue. Is there some sweetness there too? 
There is now. It's the after effect of sweetness. And then finally, we have some acidity sensed on the sides of your tongue, which would be like the mouth-watering sensation after sipping. Do you sense any of that? Yeah. And then my final piece of advice that I have based from this uh, Bright Cellars pamphlet is uh, a pro tip that tannin is more of a sensation than a flavor. Um, Look for an overall dryness or rough texture in your mouth, uh, similar to an oversteeped tea and that's how you Mm -hmm. determine how much tannin is in your wine i guess this is maybe a medium amount now that you're saying all this and as i'm drinking the wine i'm i'm starting to uh to taste it and i feel like anyone listening to this like replay this and drink some wine while you do it yeah because you could really kind of feel it and and understand it as you're talking and as the other person is drinking like be me in this Mm -hmm. episode like just drink something not when you're driving though no, no, not when you're no, driving. No, no. no. But, but you know what I uh, I love almost as much as I love, no, I definitely love more than wine is plants. Mm-hmm. And this other company who we need to reach out to them, Bloomscape, they like to pair plants with wine. And um, so one of my favorite plants, the Monstera or the Swiss cheese plant, that's that one with the big leaves that has the slits in it. I'm looking at the pictures. Yes. So um, if you're a fan of vibrant flavorful wines like mm-hmm. rosé you'll love the plants yeah. of matched intensity so they recommend the monstera which i think rosé is my favorite wine even though that's um kind of not the coolest answer i suppose and uh, the monstera <laughs> is one of my favorite plants so my wine matches my plant um but and your yeah personality and your personality bold and bold yeah you're there bold. we go i like I, pink I'd too say. Pink and green is my new favorite color combo. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, is that a hint for me to get you something pink and green for I'm your I'm just birthday? saying in general, like moving forward, just like if you're wondering in terms of color schemes, I'm into pink and green and gold in there, you know, as like accent. Mm-hmm. Pink, green, and gold together. Okay. I'm more with be, the blue. You just like so blue. You know. Yeah. Like okay. Blue. Good to know. I like to be your, calm and chill. Your birthday's coming up soon. Yes, it is. Very soon. End of the month. June 25th. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. It's my birthday. Yes. Happy birthday to Maria on June 25th. No one forget. Um, but easy yeah. Care, easy drinking is the next plant I see here. Right? Oh, and yeah, this, yeah. This so more my speed. This is, I'm about easy care and I'm about easy drinking. Yeah. So what kind of wine would be good for that is a Pinot Grigio. And you can pair that with a spider plant. It's a low maintenance uh, plant and will work around you and your busy schedule. So for so easy care, easy drinking, spider plants, and Pinot Grigio. I don't have that one either, though. I do have um, the snake plant. This the one snake plant. Next. Yeah, yes. the dark and moody. If yes. you if you are um, one to pass the time by sitting in the dark room with a glass of petite ver- verdot verdot. Verdot? I think it's French, so I want to. It's French, Verdot? so I want to say it's Petit Verdot. Petit yeah, Verdot. Verdot. I don't know what I just Probably. Did there. Very nice. Yeah, I tried there. You know, you always got to try. I like the dark and moody as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it depends on your mood. You know, at the end of a long week, you want to be easy care, easy drinking. True. Maybe Saturday night, you're like bold and double bold. And then on a rainy day, you're like, I want to be dark and moody. So mm-hmm. just, yeah. So basically, yeah. you no, should just have all the that. plants and all the wine. Yes, exactly. You should just cover all the bases because you don't know how you're going to be feeling one day to the next. So, so Deb, how is teletherapy going for you? It's going well. It's, kind of, it's winding down. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I have some new projects this summer, some clients that I'll be seeing to continued on this or distance learning platform so it's going well I would say it's about uh, 90% boom cards at this point uh, but I do love boom cards and I've also been using a lot of YouTube videos as well as books but how about you how's it going for you it's going well um, I'm not towards the end of the school year. I mean I am at towards the end of the school year but we still have more time with therapy as of right now beginning of June so what I've been doing I've really been taking 
uh, to singing and just incorporating music because it's just fun and it's exciting. And uh, for my students uh, who are on the spe autism spectrum, just getting them to engage with me over like uh, a digital platform is like amazing. So I'm just going right. off their interests because the minute the kid sees me, he's like, hi, he's learned my name now because he knows I give him what he wants. Right. Like, yes. He's like, yes, she's the one. This is the one that's been Lion King. She's yes. it. So she's Miss Maria and I better get everything right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There yeah, you go. No, Good it's motivation. Well. It's very motivating. So I just, you know, he tells me Lion King and I'm like, tell me more, you know, and he's like, I want Lion King. So I go on to Lion King. We screen share. We review the lyrics first, you know, like Akuna Matata, Akuna Matata. And then we're working on bilingual. Don't worry. Yes, you know, but then, but you know, <laughs> you want to sing, but Miss Maria is a little annoying. You know, I pause it and I'm like, let me see those lip touch for Matata. Let me see that tongue move for the Tata. You know, good, I get very good. technical in matata. there. Matata. That's matata. Good. Matata is a good word to practice. Yes, Akuna Matata. Yes. What a wonderful, wonderful phrase. phrase. <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, ready, set. And then I'll like throw in a social question sometimes. Like, what's your name though? And then they're like, my name is blank. And I'm like, play that music. Nice. You know, good. So, you're like yeah. a DJ. Yes. <gasps> <laughs> and then I've been working on expanding their utterances, of course. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what do you see in the video? And they're, the Lion King and the Jungle Book, there's so many animals in those videos. So I just yeah. pause it and I'll model like, I see Simba. And it's like, your turn. What do you see? And they say like, I see. Then, then they'll usually go, I want, because they're stuck in that I want phrase. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to I see now. We're commenting a little more. Right. So, nice. you know, yes, that's my tip or trick. Disney musicals. Just, just sing along and have some jolly old fun. If Perfect. Yeah. That's but, yeah, great. That's, that's my tip. That's my tip or trick. Oh, so, Disney. So songs. I'll piggyback off your tip or trick. Mine is to use some humming in your therapy. I've been humming. using more humming. I have a girl that I'm working with on behaviors, pragmatic voice and bilabials. So we just, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just keeping those lips together and phonating, um, is a big deal. Also, uh, humming is a great vocal warm up, and it's a good mm -hmm. residence activity to, um, work on, uh, prepare, repairing some of the inflammation on those vocal cords from some vocal abuse that might be mm. happening throughout the day. Yeah. So, um, you can hum. We hum, um, well, Disney, you can do Cinderella because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. she hums in that song. Mm -hmm. um, Snow White, Snow White hums too, I want to say. Like, yeah. <laughs> she goes, I think she's going like, but I think she's actually going like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, yeah. like that, like 30s, <laughs> like, oh. like, like Yoda? I'm by Santa. the well and I'm wishing. Like, I'm just gonna play. I the just want this right. stranger man to love me. The baritone. I, him. <laughs> I know this man that I never met in my dreams. <laughs> I love him. This is an interesting episode of SLPs. Wine yeah, and cheese. Um, so your tip is humming. Mine humming. is Disney songs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other last tips we want to say? No, we're going to do a commercial break, and then you guys are going to hear our conversations with uh, James and Joe, the scientists behind ULO. Yes, check out the show notes for more information about ULO. ULO. I said ULO. It's ULO. ULO. Check Ulo. it out. And I think ULO is a verb. You, you ULO your wine. Like, you Google something, mm. you ULO it. I, you're yeah, ULOing while you're ULO. I, I was ULOing before yeah. this interview. I ULOed prior to this mm -hmm. you've already ulode i ulode it's, <laughs> okay. it's a regular past tense verb <laughs> yeah and or you olayed if it was <laughs> uloid <laughs> all right all right bye all right <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by The Sensory Studio. The Sensory Studio is a pediatric private practice with two convenient locations in Staten Island, New York. Traditionally, The Sensory Studio offers school, center, and home-based speech and occupational therapy through private medical insurance. Right now, The Sensory Studio is offering teletherapy sessions for speech and occupational therapy through a simple email link to all New Yorkers. Please email them at info at thesensorystudio.com or call 718-979-5678 to reach their parent coordinator. Also, check out the show notes for more information. This episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese is brought to you by Bjorn Speech Publications. Bjorn Speech Publications is founded by Jenny Bjorn SLP. It's a great resource for parents, therapists, and those studying to enter the field of speech pathology. Jenny Bjorn is an expert in the field specializing in childhood apraxia speech. Bjorn Speech Sound Cues use fresh, diverse illustrations that speak to children. For more up-to-date, child-inspired speech and language products created for therapists by therapists, head over to bjornspeech.com. And now, back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb. And I'm Maria. And welcome our guests. Today we have James and Joe. James, can you say hi for us? I'm sure. I'm James Kornacki. I'm the, the founder uh, of ULO. I'm, I guess my background, I'm a scientist. I'm a chemist. I did my doctorate here in Chicago in organic chemistry, and that's where I met Joe. Wow, that's very impressive. And Joe, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Joe Dozwich. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. In a former life, I was a patent attorney, so not very fun. Um, but in my very career, fun. I'm Ulo's chief technology officer. I'm also a certified sommelier through the Court of Master Sommeliers. Um, and I have two units left on my Wine and Spirit Education Trust diploma. Wow. Wow. You so are- you know a little bit about wine. I like to think so, but the more I learn, the more I realize. Yeah. Oh, what are the two, what are the two units you have left? We should start there. Uh, the still wines of the world, and then I have to write my paper on natural wine. So, oh. actually, like natural wine would be a, what we're going to be. That would be a about. good place. Yeah, natural totally. wine. I'm assuming I've just you know not nearly onto your caliber. We just have a podcast, and I just drink the wine and read the back of the label and pretend like I know what I'm doing. You know, just confession time right now. So you're saying natural wine. Uh, isn't all wine natural because it's made from grapes? No, no. Anyone it else? Is, no, yes, except, it's, for, it's one except yeah, for one except thing. Except for one thing. Added sulfites will be the only kind of synthetic chemical added. I mean, there's other processing aids um, and chemicals you can add, but sulfites are not really a natural compound other than what the yeast will produce naturally. So... See, that I did know. We knew that, right? We, we, yeah. uh, we've tried some like uh, fancy sulfate-free wine, and they did say, the label says that it helps prevent like hangovers and uh, headaches because it's all like the bad stuff in the wine. Yeah, you, you can make wine without sulfites. Sulfites are the preservative that, that does, as Joe mentioned, it forms naturally at really low levels by the yeast during fermentation, but not nearly high enough levels to keep the wine protected against oxidation, which causes it to spoil and it turns into vinegar. So ah. winemakers add sulfites. So the only, the only artificial thing they're supposed to add, um, and so really the only artificial constituent of wine, but they serve a critical role in winemaking of the reason, you know, I have a bottle here, they're the reason you might have more than a bottle at your place. Uh, you couldn't transport and store wine if you didn't have sulfites. Uh, they also temper the flavor compounds in interesting ways we can talk about later. So they are the perfect preservative for wine. They're indispensable to winemaking. But like I said, you can make wine without sulfites. You can try and you get natural wines. And there's been a whole movement started to try to make wine totally naturally. It's hard to do. Uh, it can be done. But as your experience uh, may have suggested, the wines don't taste quite the same uh, because they lack some of the unique chemistries that the sulfites offer. 
but mm-hmm. we love the movement, even though it totally invalidates what we do. <laughs> Our job is, is to take sulfites out of wine, but we also know there really is no substitute for sulfites. So, um, Speaking of, we're all drinking wine right now, and uh, let's talk about what we are drinking and snacking on, and then we're going to get more into the chemistry of wine. I'll go first. So today I'm drinking, now these very fancy wine men are going to probably not like my grocery store wine. However, in a pinch, I went to the grocery store on the corner. It cost me $14.99. When I Googled it, it should have been more along the lines of $10.00. Because, you know, price gouging. (laughs) I got swindled here in Brooklyn, um, but it's called Bands of Rosé. Not only did I get swindled, I am a sucker for marketing. Like, marketing just knows me, and I'm like, what a label that is. I love bands. I love rosé. They combined it, and I am a purchaser. Um, It's a dry rosé. It's a 2018 from Washington State. Um, it's fine. I vote drink it. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's not rocking my world like I would hope Band of Rosé would, um, but I, I'll take it. But did you try it before you ulo'd it and then after? I didn't, but I didn't ulo my fiancé's wine, so I can go do a taste test. I'm yeah. going to do that right now. I'm going to do, do it by all means. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, wait, did by- you finish that wine? Right. See, see what the difference is because it might have been sink it before and now it's drink it, or it might have been drink it and we and ulowing it made it a sink. I hope that's not the case, but but I'll uh, do it right now. And yeah, yeah, and take your time. You know, Joe might be a wine snob. I, he's totally earned the right to be. He's not, but he's earned the right to be for sure. But the truth is, you know, I when I started researching a way to take sulfites out, uh, I was in grad school. It wasn't that long ago, about six years ago. And all of the early research I did on Ulo was everything I was drinking in my apartment. And still to this day, we test using the wine that became our standard from that period. And that is Boda Box Chardonnay. So, oh, I do like that. I love it. Oh, it's really consistent. It's really yeah. good for testing. And mm-hmm. It is good. And the truth is that I haven't found that you really need to spend on wine Good. Certain I varietals, to and Joe, yeah, I mean, Joe, you might agree. The yeah. Pinot was really popular. Pinot uh, Noir, that is, for the past decade, and it was hard to get, you know, a and not sink it bottle for under ten bucks, even under fifteen. But other than that, I don't know. To me, it, they're great wines produced at all price points. You just got to know what to get. The quality of wine that we see in grocery stores, bodegas, what have you, um, it's it's gone up in the last decade. I mean, everybody's getting better at making wine. You know, new world countries are figuring out how to do this consistently year in, year out. So something like that, I mean, it's right. really is, more accessible. there's very few sinkable wines these days. Oh, we had some on this yeah, show. I'm there sure, have there have been sure. some. And I am I am a very tolerant person i am not picky but there are a few that i think that maria gave to me on purpose because i i will usually have most anything and i was like where on earth did you manage to locate this awful atrocity i'm thinking of one when you were like did they give this out at the nail salons and you may have been right (laughs) they did if you're smelling nail polish remover, it probably has a fault. Volatile acidity can be a... So I but. want to try my wine, right? I have a Chardonnay. This is uh, sponsored, uh, sponsored to us by our Eric Kent. So I'm going to try it without Ulo and then with it right now. Live okay, but can, can we make sure that there was some question about whether you're, you're Uloing properly? So yeah, can Ulo, we just make yes. sure? Could so it be on air or no air? controlled experiment well if it's white right. wine i, I always have. err but you may choose not to err but the most important thing is that you put a filter inside yeah what are you drinking joe drinking i i he's gonna yeah. do us he, i'm gonna feel ashamed of my choice no I'm uh, your band of rosé never feel ashamed <laughs> okay yeah. band of rosé. i'm also drinking a chardonnay from um yeah. mine's from napa okay. but oh okay it's right next door to russian river valley which kind of straddles the napa sonoma Dividing line oh. south of the mountains. Um, so Oak Knoll is just north of the city of Napa. Uh, this wine is, you know, 
there's there's definitely some oak in here, but probably stainless steel as well. Maybe some leaf strain where they stir the yeast, get some mouthfeel. Um, 2016, so that's part of the color, but there's definitely oak in there. So it's kind of a middle of the road, modern California style Chardonnay. What's the trend, Joe? Are they getting oakier these days or is it, are they backing off? Good question. Um, they will definitely back off in 2020 because an oak barrel, a new oak barrel costs, you know, 3,000 bucks. Um, right. And in this economy, I don't know who's going to be, unless they already bought their barrels for this year and they're just waiting them for them to be shipped. Um, oh, so maybe 2020 will be the last of the, the oak the barrel wines. Oak Chardonnays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there will always be, well, then you can get into the debate of, is it all new oak or is it, you know, is it the second year the barrel was used, third barrel, fourth year? Right. Um, so just like with everything else, there's trends, right? Trends yeah. in fashion, yeah. trends in speech pathology, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Uh, so what is the, and do, can you predict any wine trends? I don't think so. I mean, no? people are, I'm still surprised at how much rosé is drunk. Um, not that it's a bad thing, but it's just <laughs> something we thought it was a trend, but it might be here to stay. Um, do you, do you want to hear my um, my perspective, my like just non knowledgeable perspective of rose? Basic yeah. beep version yeah. of it. Um, I am not basic. Um, what I do like, so like I typically was initially a red wine drinker, predominantly Pinot Noir. I felt like it was a nice, even bodied wine. Um, but I do like the rose because it just is lighter and it feels like it's far more drinkable, but it's not, and I always pick dry rosé, but it's not nearly as dry as like the Sauvignon Blancs and the Chardonnays and Pinot Grigio. So it's kind of like, for me, it's like the most virtuous wine. It it's the, it has the um, middle ground between excess and deficiency. It's not like super red and like hitting the back of my throat and it's not um, super white where it's to me would be like drier and front of your tongue <laughs> it's like front of your tongue yeah you know red, red is a back sound and the whites are a front sound exactly and alveolar, alveolar sounds <laughs> yes so now James SLP Joe, humor yes are like what is happening right now you know this is SLP <laughs> yeah so I, I like the way I like the um like the sensory perception of rosé wine yeah, yeah. Uh, I, but I they can really they can vary so significantly mm -hmm. you know i think that's what makes rosé so interesting too they can be really drinkable but they can be as equally kind of astringent sometimes as uh, a heavy red uh, right so there's a lot of variety that and I, if i, I get a sweet one i am pissed i am really see i i'm <laughs> if it's really sweet perhaps but sometimes i think those are the best uh, <laughs> yeah, I you know. have to be kind of wanting it though. If, yeah, if you don't yeah. want it and you get it, you say, oh, and mom, you're like, your mom, the Kool Aid man literally just bust through my wall. <laughs> like that's how I feel. <laughs> well, he did. Time and a place for that. I mean, if you're I never, I guess. eating handfuls of Jolly Ranchers, I mean, it'll true. Beautifully. No, or like Indian food. Yeah, I mean, if you're yeah, eating you anything spicy, you really do. You right. Do. I did when I was a waitress. I learned that hack that if um. If anything was so spicy on your tongue, give someone a sugar packet and that makes it go away. I've yeah. not tried that. Yeah. So I like if that. I convince someone to get wings because I really didn't care about them and they were like, are they hot? I'm like, nah, they're fine because I just wanted to get it over with. And then they were like crying that their tongue was on fire. Then I would smooth over the situation the with wow. some science. Yeah. Be like, a server guess what? I knock you down to bring you back up. <laughs> luckily, luckily, those wings or the sugar doesn't have alcohol with it because sometimes spice and alcohol can right uh, amplify that situation. Yeah. Oh, we can talk about the solubility of compounds now if you'd like and go that direction. Yeah. So, but on yes, you know on that note, I, I have a question for Joe that is really sciencey that I just noticed as I'm drinking my my Haute Medoc uh, Bordeaux. And I'm looking down through the glass, and there's light coming through my window here, and I'm I see uh, a precipitate has formed. Okay, so little particles. But Joe, I can I can tell they're not tartrate crystals. Uh, if you've ever noticed when you drink an older vintage red, uh, you'll sometimes get solids. Um, 
Ulo filters them out too, along with sulfites, just because they're physical things that you can pull out. People don't want to drink them. That's why you decant wine. You pour the stuff off. But this is this is 2015, so I wouldn't, Joe, expect so much condensation of the polyphenolic yeah. compounds, the red stuff. But I also don't think they're tartrate crystals. So I think it was a clean glass. Assuming it was clean, any explanation for what that might be? Yeah, so um, typically, you know, we said sulfites are the only artificial things added to wine. You kind of caveat that by mentioning that there are processing aids. So you can use um, certain processing aids to filter a wine and fine it, which basically finds those particulate matter and precipitates that out, and then you can have a clear wine. Uh, so in Bordeaux, Bordeaux, they mostly use like two egg whites per barrel, and that will precipitate out proteins. You could use bentonite, which is diatomaceous clay earth, um, or you can use isinglass, which is from a sturgeon bladder, but then it's not vegan. Um, I just want, can we recap that so for they, a second? They so probably just didn't filter or find their wine. You know, they made But I'm interested in, filter. which is good, all the more natural, but the, the filtering yeah. agents Joe just mentioned, we have two egg whites can be used. Typically, we have two egg whites per barrel. We have ah. diatomaceous earth, which is the skeletal remains of unicellular, I think, ancient sea creatures. And we have the bladders of fish. Wait, yeah. is this is that, wine is or is accurate? this a, a this concoction is... a witch made in her pot? No, these are, no. These are processing aids. <laughs> these are like, this um, sounds like. <laughs> filter and fire. Eye of Newt, is that next? Yeah. No, <laughs> no. But I mean, it just shows like how, how winemaking is such an old, old school process. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it still today follows those same traditions. You know, there are certainly chemical agents that would, that would fine wine just fine, but I'm glad they're still using fish bladders. I just well, don't necessarily want to know about very, it. Very few people use yeah. isinglass because it's so hard to get reliable isinglass. Most people will use kind of a, a paper filter. So they'll, they'll run the wine through kind of just paper. And that's but you think my things. but the 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 particles that I'm seeing in mine they're purple so yeah. I I do think there's some the condensate of the polyphenols and more natural um, less filtered less fine yeah. style so it probably didn't go through that process and maybe they use one egg white in yeah. that too <laughs> filtering yeah. and fining can often strip a wine of a lot of the good things you know the tannin um, compounds the flavors you just don't want to strip a wine bear. Tannin is what makes wine healthy, right? That's, I looked up a fact. fact and, yeah, a, a better question is what the hell is tannin? Yeah, we got a head tilt on there. So that sounded like, was that fake news, Joe? Um, tannins can have health benefits, but it's not, it's probably more uh, of the antioxidant anthocyanins. Excuse me, Joe. Tannins are comprised of a whole class of molecules, one of which is resveratrol, which has been overhyped in the sciences because it had been shown to extend lifespan, but the lifespan of yeast, and we oh, are not unfortunately like, hello, using wait. fungi. <laughs> it doesn't work oh. for people to know, but there, there are plenty of cardioprotective effects in particular that are associated with some of the anthocyanins, which are tannins. Tannins is a general term for any of the polyphenolic compounds found in wine, of which there are hundreds, uh, if not hundreds, I don't want to say hundreds of thousands, but it certainly is possible we'd see all those forms of unknown structure and certainly unknown function in humans. I know when I drink a lot of red wine, and I don't know if you have this experience, um, and I don't have it with whites, I sometimes can't sleep at night. It interrupts my sleep. So I tend to oh. actually drink a lot more white wine, but I have to attribute that to something in the tannins. Mm. tannins Nothing keeps me from sleeping at all. Nothing. I get I get headaches now after yeah. I had two glasses of rosé and I had a headache. So was that the sulfur? But was it band of rosé, rosé? What? Well, that's mine and I'm going to sleep well. I might I will likely not have a headache. I also don't get headaches really ever. Um, but yeah, so you're saying that you think it's the tannins that those those are keeping you awake like a like a stimulant? Well, I well Something is, yeah, and we hear that we just hear tannins, and people, what are tannins? I just, uh, I guess I want listeners to know that we don't really know that tannins are a whole class of molecules that 
are the natural compounds in wine that are not the ethanol and they're not the organic acids. They're kind of everything else extracted really from the skins of the grapes uh, with a much higher concentration, of course, in red wines uh, than in white wines. What they do, why they might be contributing to the health benefits of wine, we don't know, but we know that they must be doing something because mm -hmm. alone the organic acids and the, the alcohol aren't likely uh, the contributors. Joe, but are these like so but so what the research studies that you are referring to though are 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 talking about the health benefits of wine which uh from my knowledge are strictly red wine is that accurate there hasn't actually there hasn't been a whole lot of research um i wish there were more but uh they're not really funding what happens when people drink lots of wine but well they over should, a I, long period of time but somebody actually did they did a longitudinal <laughs> study that uh that that seemed to demonstrate that people who drank wine regularly lived longer. I, I, would, uh, I think so. Study, I think that would happen. Yeah. Cause I, have that I think so. Right now. But I think this is the reason why <laughs> that what we're doing here, uh, cause there's also a lot of evidence that saying any amount of alcohol is actually bad for you any, in any quantity. So right. I say it's not definitive in either direction. We just don't know, but to the extent, you know, right now in our world we're living in that we get to talk with people, you know, Looks yeah. like you in Brooklyn that that we didn't know before this. I think that's the kind of thing that that's so good. it's correlation, not causation. Oh no, yeah, well, like it could be causation. We just don't know the cause. Right. So now I'll say it's correlated. Maria's, Maria's got the study. She wants yeah. to quote it. Hush. Medical news today. <laughs> However, it says the American Heart Association says that the studies do not show a cause and effect relationship. Other factors may play a role. For example, who, people who drink red wine in moderation may also follow a more healthful lifestyle or a Mediterranean diet. So you can't just say, oh, it's definitely the wine that makes them healthy. It's just so many other variables in a person's health than wine. Well, I'm going to go with the wine um, because Cheers. no one can tell me what to do. <laughs> okay. It's my show. It's Maria's Cheers. too, but Cheers. equal partners. And the wine does it. Cheers. Amen. I think wine so has I, better, better psychological effects, maybe than physical. Well, I've gotten I've gotten a little. For the first couple of glasses. I'm yeah. That, <laughs> I've wondered who that was, who did all that stuff last night. Um, that was you, Deb, with some you. wine. <laughs> yeah. um, it was all of us right. at one point. Um, <laughs> did you ever see that meme that was like wow drunk me brushed my teeth washed my face changed my clothes put on my whole skincare routine she did text my boyfriend but my ex-boyfriend but we are no one's perfect <laughs> like something like that i wish gosh i wish that were drunk me <laughs> it was like drunk me to care my... <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so i have a question you guys talked a bunch about like natural wine and it like also like how wine is um, a part of uh, people's culture. And it's, it's been a long time that like people have been making wine. So while um, I would say I was not much of a rebellious teen, but something that we did do, my best friend Margarita is from uh, Italy and her family would often go there and return with wine. I remember the bottles were this shape, but they were dark. And they were duct taped at the top. That's so they don't explode in the luggage. Everyone knows that. Well, whatever it was. I, I mean, I didn't know when I was in high school. I was just like, Maggie, get some of that from the dining room and bring it upstairs. Um, <laughs> duct so, tape stuff in particular. Yeah. So we used to, so we used to just take, because they just had the whole, like, a corner of the dining room floor was just covered in these bottles, like, label-less bottles that, I guess, like, her aunt's feet were just on these scrapes. But my question is, so you're talking about natural wines. What do people do in their little Italian yeah, it's a farms? Oh, those I will tell like you. So, those, so, I've had some Greek wine like made. Because they don't have sulfites. Yeah, That's like why. You have right. to have well, we specific. were fine with it. Well, the, the so, Greek wine might have red cena. So sulfites are... Red vinegar. <laughs> That's what it tastes. Well, what we're talking about is is how do you preserve wine and keep it from oxidizing into vinegar? That's that's the natural progression of ethanol, especially in the presence of microorganisms. It goes from ethanol to vinegar, and we want to keep the ethanol. That's what makes you drunky drunk, uh, and makes wine wine. If you don't have sulfites, which is how it has been for centuries before the the twentieth century, you in your Greek village. Uh, or the Italian village where Margarita's 
grandparents were, would drink that entire fermented barrel really all at once. Right. We had to drink it right away. So we didn't feel that bad. Even though we were teenagers, we were like, we already know that this (laughs) has a time limit. Exactly. See, you were, and exactly. You, and you were doing the whole wine community a favor. And really us by proving our point, which is that you have to have sulfites to make wine last. It's, there's just no way around it. But the reason people, the reason Margarita's family brought all those back is because wine made with right. little sulfites or what was just there naturally that has to be consumed right away. Tends like, to what make are we going to do with all this? better exactly yeah uh, you probably felt great in high school downing a few of those duct tape bottles until they turned to vinegar <laughs> well i mean it was so, either that or black house so it was like we were in for the wine that was a better choice <laughs> so james so pretty much it's like if you can't beat them join them like we need the sulfites in the wine but then you created this product right the ulo that removes some of the yeah. some of sulfites. the extra sulfites so that yeah. you don't have this hangover, you don't have this headache, you can sleep at night. So is that like... You know, I, this, there, the science is not at all clear on, on what the role of sulfites is in headaches and hangovers and anything like that. We know they're in there for a reason, to keep wine preserved. The way they do that is by killing the microorganisms in wine that accelerate its oxidation into into vinegar and a lot of other things. So by nature, sulfites are designed to be toxic. They're designed to kill living things and they do it very efficaciously. Uh, They just, you would have to ingest a little bit more than, a lot more in fact, than what's in a bottle uh, to kill you. So it's very good at killing tiny little things, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not toxic for humans. Uh, Plenty of studies uh, have shown this. In fact, it's, it's one of the reasons sulfites are one of the most heavily regulated food additives, if not the most heavily regulated. You really only see sulfites used in wine and a few other very limited use areas for that reason. So I think in the spirit of keeping wine natural, if if we're using fish bladder still in wine, certainly we should be erring to the side of of natural uh, with Ah. how we make wine and how we enjoy it, kind of regardless. So that that was sort of the motivation for me to to solve this problem of chemistry mm-hmm. and just give people the option to, to take it out if you want to. Well, if we take out sulfites selectively, um, you know, there's other ways to remove sulfites from wine, but you're gonna alter a lot of the wine's chemistry and the wine's flavor profile. Um, right. So they have... just have a selective technology. So it's, it's really binding the sulfites only and everything else is gonna be exactly the same. Um, other than some of your flavors are going to be more alive. So sulfites can bind to carbonyl compounds and aromas, um, and that masks their flavor a bit. So when you remove the sulfites, you can get some of those ketones and some of those esters to really kind of come out of the glass and hit your nose and hit your palate a little more forcefully. That was the hard part that, that Joe mentions, uh, and that's what that's what enabled Ulo. It's, it's how we created this this whole category. It's now grown a little bit. We see some competitors. And, and I, it, it's fantastic, really, because of the reasons Joe just said, if you're taking this artificial thing out, you're not taking out something that is known to be toxic, only by doing so, you're releasing some of the flavors you otherwise wouldn't experience. Right. But the hard part, really, so, it, it is that selectivity. It's how do you take that one thing out without taking everything else out? Uh, yeah, that was the hard part. So how was wine preserved in the past? Because how did, in a cask of Amontillado, so why did that dude even want to go down to the cave well, to see that wine that's yeah. been there for so cask long? Amontillado <laughs> is going to be a sherry, which is a fortified wine. Okay. So that wine is going to be higher in alcohol to the point where you don't uh, need sulfites. Okay. Just 18%. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we like, um, boards, did Edgar Allan Poe not do his research? Like that... <laughs> <laughs> you, you can get wine to age without sulfides, but in a commercial international wine market, it's a mm-hmm. risky endeavor. Okay. Um, but, but once you open that barrel that's been that held in really standard conditions, it's susceptible to, to spoilage very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I, again, unless you're above 18% alcohol, in which case you're a, a fortified wine, then you're, you're good to go. Um, so predom- like the different wines are named for the grapes that were used to create that wine, right? Um, And so now, um, 
something I wanted to bring up is that my my fiance Mike often tells me that I don't understand him because he is a Pinot grape, um, which is a very <laughs> he's a very uh, temperamental, thin-skinned grape that needs to be nurtured. Um, and it also has been brought to my attention. This was in a popular movie. Can you expand well, upon? Hold on, like a Pinot Grigio <laughs> or like a Pinot Noir? A Pinot Noir grape. Ah, okay. It's a it's a hard grape to grow. It's thin skinned, temperamental. It's not a survivor like the Cabernet that can grow anywhere and thrive even when neglected. Pinot needs constant care and attention, you know? In fact, it can only grow in those really specific little tucked away corners of the world and only the most patient and nurturing of growers can do it really. Only somebody who takes the time to understand the Pinot's potential can then coax it into its finest He sounds expression. like a keeper. <laughs> this it is from the movie. Sounds like someone pontificating sideways. This is from sideways. Yeah, I just I read the quote. But yeah, he he like heard that and he's like, "Holy shit, I'm a Pinot grape." Like that was his thing. <laughs> just a misconception a little bit. Um, you know, in America we're used to enjoying wine based on the varietal, based on the grape. But that's really, Joe, is it just an American thing? Uh, no, it was kind of a, anywhere that didn't have 500 years of, you know, the Dukes of Burgundy discovering what grew best on their terroir. Um, I have no idea what you just land. said. <laughs> I'm well, trying to break it down for you. So, okay. so we have the varietals. You know, you go to the grocery store and you see your, your Pinot Grigio, your Pinot Noir, your Sauv Blanc and Cabernet and so on and so forth. But in, in Europe, uh, the wine is, is based on the region. And those regions are comprised of the grapes that really perform best in those climates. Pinot, so. Pinot is one of those grapes where... Um, is it sensitive, or did they make it up for the movie? It's it's difficult to grow to get <laughs> okay. a big harvest. You know, Chardonnay you can kind of grow anywhere, cold climate, warm climate. You can put it on oak. You can do stainless steel. You can stir the leaves. Cabernet kind of the same way. It's very giving to the winemaker and the grape grower. Pinot, you, you have to watch. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make it better or worse. There's a lot of bad Pinot out there. Mm -hmm. um, that either capitalize on sideways or just <laughs> want to be trendy. Um, and to be very fair to sideways, Merlot, um, if you go to the Wine Spectator's Instagram page, they're posting old covers. And there's one that's kind of, um, oh no, he bought another Merlot from like 1997, which is, I don't know, years before sideways. But basically oh. Merlot was planted indiscriminately in California. So we had a lot of terrible Merlot planted all over. Okay. Which is why he's so against Merlot, because it was the industrial, economic-driven wine that we produced. Uh-huh. Before we wrap up this episode, we usually like to end our episodes with a quote. We always forget to tell the guest, but if there's anything that you tell yourself on a daily basis, a quote, a mantra, just anything that has helped you throughout your life oh, yeah. that you want to put out into the world, can you give that to us now? Okay. Yeah, it's Stephen Hawking who I love and respect for so many reasons. My favorite quote of all time, uh, if life weren't funny, it would be tragic. <laughs>